Well, good morning and a very warm welcome to our online service today. My name is Ken Carter. I'm a member of Brighton Road Baptist and I'll be leading our worship this morning. This week, uh, we continue in our study of the gospel message, concluding our exploration in the book of Thessalonians before we move on to the gospels of Mark and Luke in the coming weeks. And David Wickersham will be speaking on this subject a bit later in the service. And I'm delighted that we'll have contributions from other members of our church family as part of our worship this morning. As we gather in our homes today, we are nearing what we hope will be the end of the second lockdown period in our country. And whilst it's potentially a much shorter duration than the first, it has been no less challenging for many of our church family. So please be assured of our love and our prayers for all of you as together we navigate our way through this difficult time. But believe it or not, this is the first Sunday of Advent, that period in the run-up to Christmas which centres upon the graceful waiting for the gift of Jesus, the coming of Christ, God's Son, to our earth. And the first Sunday of Advent traditionally focuses on the theme of hope, as we commence our preparations for celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus. And uh, I've taken our call to worship today from the first eight verses of Psalm 62, which expresses the hope of the psalmist in our almighty God, whilst acknowledging the challenges of life that are manifested in the daily attacks that he experiences from his enemies. And Psalm 62 reads, truly my soul finds rest in God, my salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down, this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Our opening song was recorded in the church building by our worship group before the lockdown began and it both echoes that psalm and invites us to express our hope in the God who loves us unconditionally, who is there for us every day in all the joys and challenges of life, sustaining us and pouring out his love and his grace upon us. The song is called In Every Day That Dawns. So let's worship God together.
May I lead you in prayer. Let's pray together. Loving and gracious God, we lift up our heads, our hearts and our hands to you in prayer. We put our trust in you, believing that your word is true. Father God, every word in scripture points us to the gift of hope that we have because of Christ Jesus. The Christmas story wasn't the beginning of that message of hope because the Old Testament is full of glimpses of your plan to redeem your people and restore them into a relationship with you. But we are able to truly begin to see and understand just how great your love for us is when we read the story of Jesus' birth in Scripture. Father, help us to see that you are with us even in this most challenging time in our history and remind us that nothing in our lives is too difficult, too messy or too far gone for you to bring restoration, healing and peace. We thank you that Jesus came to give us the gift of eternal life through the salvation that only you, our Heavenly Father, can give when we believe in your Son. We are truly sorry for our sins and confess Jesus as our Lord and Saviour as we worship you together this morning. That first Christmas you gave us the gift of hope, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Father, thank you for your immeasurable gift to us and all mankind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I confess I'm not a great fan of these latter days of autumn when the nights really draw in very early and winter takes hold. And I often find myself longing for the new year when slowly the dark afternoons give way to light again as spring approaches. But there's no question that autumn can be a stunning season as we see the leaves and the trees transform into vibrant colours for just a few weeks. And perhaps it's this season most of all that brings to mind the words of Ecclesiastes, that there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And curiously, courtesy of the Burr's 1965 version of the song, Turn, 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 the opening words of Ecclesiastes 3 carry the unlikely accolade of being the oldest lyrics to have made number one in the US music charts. The tune was strangely memorable, but there must be a strong suspicion that the song's popularity at that time also reflected the resonance that people felt with its catalogue of life's times and rhythms. Between our time to be born and our time to die, our lives are characterised by changing seasons. Some are the results of the deep currents of time, the seasonal rhythm of the year, our natural progression through the ages and stages and roles and responsibilities of life. Others, as the author of Ecclesiastes well knew, come and go like the surface of the ocean. Times of gain and of loss, of sadness and joy, of turmoil and calm, success and failure or sickness and health. Sometimes these are informed by our actions and our choices, but very often they are driven by winds over which we have no control. To the secular humanist mindset, the times of our life are random and purposeless, a dice rolled by an unexistent hand. And yet scripture teaches us a very different, a much richer truth. 
the truth that our lives are in the care of our loving God and Father who is just and righteous and who lavishes his love and grace upon us, even to the extent of sacrificing his Son to ensure our salvation. This season of Advent invites us to prepare to celebrate the birth of God's Son who entered time, who knows its limits and its seasons, its trials and tribulations, and who has taken that experience back into eternity. We are living through a very particular season at present in which many of the normal securities of life have been replaced by uncertainty and threat. Echoes of David's sense of being a leaning wall, a tottering fence, as we read earlier in our call to worship. But like David, and perhaps now more than ever, we need to hear and to heed the words in verse 6 of Psalm 62, that truly he is our rock and our salvation, our fortress, I shall not be shaken. And so we continue on our worship by listening to a song by Sovereign Grace Music, which is used with their kind permission, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so we continue in our worship together.
Traditionally, we light candles as part of our worship in each of the four Advent services leading up to Christmas. And even though we're unable to meet in our building, we're able to continue that aspect of our worship, even as we meet here online. We're very grateful to Sheila Stevens for kindly preparing our Advent wreaths and candles, which we'll use in all of our Advent services. And Judy Brogio will lead us this morning in our liturgy and prayer as we light our first candle of Advent, which symbolizes our hope in the coming of our Lord and Saviour. The Gospel of John speaks of Christ as the true light coming into the world. In commemoration of that coming, we light candles for the four weeks leading to Christmas and reflect on the coming of Christ. It is significant that the Church has always used that language the coming of Christ, because it speaks to a deep truth. Christ is coming. Christ is always coming, always entering a troubled world, a wounded heart. And so we light the first candle, the candle of hope, and dare to express our longing for peace, for healing, and the well-being of all creation. Loving God, as we enter this Advent season, we open all the dark places in our lives and memories to the healing light of Christ. Show us the creative power of hope. Prepare our hearts to be transformed by you, that we may walk in the light of Christ. Amen. In a moment, Pauline Jepps will be bringing our scripture reading from 2 Thessalonians. But first we sing our next song, which expresses the wondrous hope that we have in our Lord and Saviour, who stepped down from heaven into our warring world, bringing inextinguishable light and salvation to all who will trust in him. 
The song is glorious light, see the dawn of salvation. And so we continue in our worship together. Our reading is from 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Paul, Silas and Timothy, 
to the Church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our Lord, of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
As we enter Advent and look forward to the coming of the Saviour of the world, can we lead you in praying for his coming into this needy world? Let us pray. Lord, as we come before you today, anticipating the season of Advent, we ask you to prepare us for your coming. Lord, prepare us for your coming in the church, your means of transformation. We pray for your church today, your body here on earth. May we, each member and collectively by your spirit, be the means to transform that part of the world in which you have placed us. We pray especially for our own ministers, Tim and Michael, as they seek to do your will and guide us through the spiritual and worldly journeys. Lord, in your mercy, Hear our prayer. Lord, prepare us for your coming in the world. Restore our passion for what is good and right. Establish your just and gentle rule in areas of the world where there is conflict and where peace has been powerless and violent people have had their day. We ask you to govern the hearts and minds of those who lead our nations and for those in authority that they may act justly with honesty and integrity according to your will. Lord, in your mercy, hear, hear our, our prayers. prayers. Lord, prepare us for your coming in our own community. In our daily life, help us to bring your light and hope in this time of pandemic. Help us never to forget the supremacy of your love. May your love motivate our care 
for our neighbourhoods in Horsham and the surrounding villages. May love heal the social ills which sometimes drag us into despair. May love inspire our citizenship to rise beyond mediocrity and may we always remember that we are members one of another and that we can never live to ourselves alone. Lord, in your mercy, hear our, our prayer. prayers. Lord, prepare us for your coming to those in need. On this day, we pray for the homeless, the refugees, the expelled and forgotten people everywhere. And we remember, especially today, all those involved in the work of the social services as they seek to make a difference for the men, women and children they serve. May they know that your guiding hand is with them in their daily work and tireless endeavours. We pray for others for whom this day will seem long and hard, for those in hospital or ill at home, for those struggling with despair or depression, those seeking work, and for those for whom this day will be their last. Comfort and heal all who suffer. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation. Lord, in your mercy, hear, hear our, our prayers. prayers. As we enter this time of Advent, Lord, come even nearer. Come to rejuvenate our faith. Come to fortify our social conscience. Come to widen our eyes of wonder so that when the Saviour comes, he may steal into our hearts and find them ready. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. May I just say thank you to Ian and Pauline for leading our prayers and scripture reading and to Judy for bringing our Advent reading and prayer this morning. And before David Wickersham brings God's word to us, we're going to sing again a song which expresses the ultimate fullness of the grace that is lavished upon us by God through the gift of his Son and the fullness of hope that we now have through his obedience to death, even death on a cross. The song is fullness of grace in man's human frailty. This is the wonder of Jesus. And so we worship God together.
Today we are looking at Paul's words recorded in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8. He will punish those who do not obey the gospel. It was some weeks ago that I received the sermon voter and found myself down to preach on this passage. It surprised me for two reasons. Today many churches will be celebrating the first Sunday in Advent and I wasn't convinced that the text could be appropriate. And secondly, any thoughts around judgment and retribution take us from our comfort zone. As Christians, we major on the salvation we have discovered through Christ's sacrifice upon a cross and the victory we will share through his resurrection. We tend to be reluctant to ponder how those without Jesus will fare. But I've learned over the years that our God can catch us out with surprises and sometimes greatest reward can come from studying difficult themes. As a child I got the distinct impression from the church we attended that the fate of man is entirely binary. Our future either offers the shared untold joy of God's kingdom or a uniform retribution. But as a young Christian, I discovered that this is simply not scriptural. Scripture doesn't pander to our intellectual curiosity. It teaches us on a need-to-know basis. But from what we read, there is evidence, for example, that the kingdom of heaven is hierarchical. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus proclaimed that those who disobey God's commandments and teach others to do the same will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. Those who obey and teach others to do so will be great. Elsewhere, Jesus proclaimed that the least in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than John the Baptist. As for man's destiny without Jesus, he indicated that on the day of judgment it will fare better for Sodom, Tyre and Sidon for having behaved in ignorance. And Paul developed the theme when he wrote to the Romans that the Gentiles will be judged according to the light they have received. It's made clear that God's judgment is finely nuanced. And that shouldn't come as a surprise. It is, after all, the essence of sound justice. Many years ago I knew a lady who had lost her first child when it was just three months old. It was a little girl called Joy. The lady shared with me how someone professing faith had taken her to task for not having the baby baptised before its death, and he pronounced that the baby's fate was unspeakable as the result of her negligence. But that lady had a profound Christian faith, tried, tested and proven. Though scarred deeply by her loss, she was entirely comfortable at leaving her innocent child in the hands of a God whose dependable justice is an integral part of his holiness. The day of judgment is described as a terrible day, but we owe it to our Heavenly Father to represent him accurately, and not like that misguided adviser make out justice as something that would manifestly be unjust. 
Being 75 years on from the beginning of the Nuremberg trials, we have opportunity to reflect on stories emerging from that period of heroism as well as Holocaust. A couple of weeks ago, the BBC told the story of a 21-year-old French woman who, living close to the Swiss border, ferried Jewish children to safety. With many children delivered to Switzerland, her mission was uncovered and the Gestapo immediately executed her. There are no reasons to suppose this young woman's motives were religious. Simply that with astonishing bravery, she laid down her life in pursuit of what she knew to be right. It leaves us to speculate how on a day of judgment, the fate of that young French woman will compare with that of her executioner when weighed in the scales of a holy, righteous and just God. We know that mankind cannot be saved by good works. Scripture is very clear that good works can save no one. But I wonder if there's a risk that knowing this we remain a little muted when seeing examples of good in the secular world. Even in the last few weeks I've been the recipient of unsolicited kindness from strangers. And on the news we often hear of philanthropy and self-sacrifice. If the secular world is to remain under judgment, we should be rejoicing for the sakes of both benefactors as well as recipients if we see pursuit of good rather than evil. That three-month-old baby, Baby Joy, that I referred to earlier, was in fact my older sister. She would now have been 80 had she lived. But like my mother, I find that I have no fear for her well-being, having died in innocence, baptised or unbaptised. I'm content that under just judgments, those who die in innocence or without capacity could only know repose. Yet we've all lost people close to us, and if they've had no ability or capacity, or if knowingly, they have shown no inclination to share our faith. We may have fretted over their future. The closing scenes of Brideshead Revisited depict a family gathering around the father's deathbed, desperate for a sign that at the last he will come to faith. And we may have wished the same for someone that we have loved and lost. But I dare to wonder if firmer ground might be to rejoice that our God is just. And the clue is in the word. He will not judge the tyrant. So those who through infancy, capacity and ignorance will find repose or mitigation. While others, like the 21-year-old French woman, will find just reward. Doesn't scripture say that he will judge everyone according to what they have done? As a young Christian, I used to be troubled by the prospect of acknowledging God's justice on the day of judgment with a cry of Alleluia. It's the scene depicted in Revelation 19. Why would I be rejoicing on such a terrible day? Would I be crying it through gritted teeth? 
or will it be that my sense of right and wrong will have been recalibrated? But I now understand that on that day there will be no false witnesses, no balance of probabilities or reasonable doubts, no fixed penalties or fines. Rather, there will be omniscience and proportionality. When compared to our flawed attempts at justice and the injustice of tyrants, I'm left wondering why we don't celebrate God's justice more readily, as the psalmist did. Mighty King, lover of justice, you have established equity, you have executed righteousness and justice. Now I have no doubt that our cries of Alleluia will be spontaneous and from our hearts, as we see the extraordinary wisdom and justice of our God revealed to all. There will, of course, be those who will cry to be hidden from God's righteous anger, but that will be entirely consistent with what the world seeks for those guilty of indescribable evils. And how does all this fit at a time when we are celebrating Advent? Two things. It's only through Jesus that we fully understand God's righteousness. He was, after all, the light of the world. And by paying the penalty himself for our sins, his death served to endorse the law's just demands. It turns out that our God paid dearly for his commitment to justice. But secondly, there is, of course, a gulf between innocence and holiness. And perhaps we need to fully understand that to know all that the miracle of Christ's cross and resurrection should mean to us. The coming of Jesus not only granted us forgiveness, so as to offer us up as innocent under the law, it also secured our rebirth, so that we may receive the Holy Spirit, inherit God's divine nature, and share his holiness. The first chapter of John's Gospel doesn't say to all who received him he gave power to recover their innocence. It says to all who receive him he gave power to become children of God. And even with the coming of the kingdom in which we'll share, it seems that administration of justice will not disappear. As Paul asked the Corinthians, do you not know that we are to judge angels? So perhaps it's as well that we sharpen our appreciation of justice. Finally, what about Paul's passage in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8? He will punish those who do not obey the gospel. Tim introduced us to the series on Thessalonians by explaining the violence and persecution Paul received in Philippi and Thessalonica. It clearly left Paul distressed and shaken. But it's not that Paul was looking for revenge. Some translators would have it that Paul was simply confirming that his persecutors would reap their due reward. Others say that Paul was indicating such people will know tribulation in this world. But I'm content to leave that for our experts in Greek to explain. For myself, I'm happy at Advent to worship our God and to celebrate as the psalmist did. Alleluia! 
the Lord comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the peoples with equity. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.
Small. 